0: friends, before I begin, shall we bow our heads in prayer? Lord, as we come to you this Aldersgate Sunday, grant us, Lord, a warming of our hearts and assurance of our salvation by faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Teach us, Lord, your way and through the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts, O Lord, be acceptable to you, our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Is your house in order? And when I ask the question, what comes to your mind when you think of your house? I know most of us have been spending a lot of time in the house during this COVID-19 period, uh, more than we usually would. And uh, some of you may have spent this time uh, tidying up, uh, reorganizing, repairing and working in as well as on your house. Or, as I suggested in the last few weeks, uh, some of you uh, may have been looking into your spiritual house and examining your heart uh, or putting your family matters into order as God would have it. So I thought to ask the question, uh, what would it take to establish a house that will last? I believe the answer would uh, depend on who is going to establish that house, what kind of house will it be, and how long do you expect it to last? So do keep these thoughts at the back of your mind as we go through the text. Today's passage sees a conversation between David, the prophet Nathan, and God, uh, who will speak about the establishment of a house that will last. So let's inquire of the Lord and discern His wisdom for us. Uh, let's read the scriptures of verses 1 to 3 again. Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7, uh, verse 1 begins, After the king was settled in his palace, and the Lord had given him rest all his en- uh, from all his enemies around him, uh, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am, living in a house of seder, while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. So let me quickly begin to make this first observation in the flow of this passage. Uh, That is, uh, firstly, David proposes a house for God. Uh, We find this in verses 1 to 3. Now the text makes a point of telling us right at verse 1, It is the Lord that had given David rest uh, from all his enemies. The source of his peace uh, was God himself. And David, in faithful obedience to God, uh, was now enjoying rest from his enemies, as prophesied by Moses in Deuteronomy. So David is living in a house of seder. Uh, you know, the, the text in NIV calls it a palace or a home. And uh, seeing the disparity between his house and the tent of curtains, uh, the Hebrew word for that, yeria, actually means a tent of curtains, uh, that the ark of God is housed in, he desires to build a house for God. In other words, a temple. So when we look at the man after God's own heart, uh, the man after God's own heart, Uh, When he rests in his house, uh, he he thinks not about renovating and upgrading his own house, but his thoughts turn instead to the house of God. He highlights the disparity to Nathan the prophet, and Nathan agrees with David and tells David to go ahead and do it, i.e. to go address the current disparity that he sees. So before I go further, let me take a moment to explain a Hebrew term that is central in understanding this passage. That Hebrew term is baith, which is usually translated as a dwelling house. That term is sometimes truncated or shortened to bet or bet. Uh, for example, betlehem, uh, meaning house of bread, or el. Uh, meaning house of God. Or as in this case, in verse uh, 2, Bet-Arazim, meaning house of Seder. So the Hebrew term Baith is used 15 times in this chapter and it is translated uh, variously in a number of ways. It can mean, like it normally does, dwelling house, palace, temple, receptacle family or dynasty so it's important uh, that we understand which house David is referring to and which house God is referring to so this chapter begins with David proposing to build a house a temple for God the flow of the passage changes when God responds to David's uh, stated desire through the prophet Nathan We see that from verse 4 to 7. Verse 4 reads, But that night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David. This is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, Why have you not built me a house of seder? God's response leads me to the second observation, that is, that God decides His own house on His own terms not anyone else. As verse 6 puts it, God moves with his people and he determines his own dwelling. Thus far, God has chosen to dwell in a tent. The word for tent that God uses is different from what God uses earlier on, yeriah uh, At this point, it is Ohel. And it means a tent, a cover, a tabernacle home and even the people living in the tents. God is in their midst. He is tabernacle or tented in the midst of his people who were tent dwellers and his presence is a covering tent over them. Nowadays, when I think of tent dwellers, uh, I think of refugees, the homeless, the poor, those that can't afford a roof over their heads uh, and uh, are living in tents, uh, temporary shelters. The God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament are the same in that God chooses to be with his people as their cover. It is also helpful for us to remember that the Apostle Paul uh, describes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 1 and 2 that our bodies are these earthly tents. They are temporary. So God is tabernacled, or He has pitched His tent in our midst. And uh, an enduring title that we have for Jesus is that He is Emmanuel, God with us. Much as we, like David, uh, would like to build a house for God and expect Him to stay there, so that we can find him when we want to keep, uh, when we want to, and uh, keep him at bay, outside in the temple, out of our affairs, uh, when we don't want him meddling in our uh, in our affairs. In a way, having a god in a temple uh, puts God under our control. But our God says that we cannot constrain Him. He is not to be contained in an earthly building made on this earth. Uh, So we cannot constrain Him and He will choose to house where He chooses to. So don't be surprised if He chooses your house to establish Himself in if you welcome Him in, that is. Not only does God decide His own house or temple, He decides to establish David's house too. Uh, Verse 11b to 13 states, The Lord declares to you that the Lord Himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood. And I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now, this is a very important passage that speaks about the covenant, the Davidic covenant that God makes with David. It speaks about the house of God and it also speaks about the house of David. So to answer the question of who will build the house, what house will he build? God uses a word play on the term Baith, house. And Yahweh is saying that He Himself will establish David's house, meaning his family or dynasty. And God would use David's offspring whom God himself would raise and establish to build a baith for his name, a temple or a house of God uh, for God himself. So let me quickly move on to answer the third question. How long will this house last? Uh, And I'll answer it by making the third observation, which is that God builds an eternal house. Anything that God does tends to be for eternity. So God does this by establishing an eternal covenant with David. As verse 16 records, Your house, and God is referring to David here, Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Now how will the house of David and the house of God be established forever? We see a partial fulfillment of the revelation of God and Nathan's prophecy in that Sol, uh, Solomon, uh, David's son, uh, takes over as king and eventually builds a temple for God, a house uh, for God. But Solomon, towards the end of his life, becomes, a unfortunately, a failed king. His kingdom does not last forever. And the temple he built is eventually destroyed even as the Israelites were captured as slaves and exiles as God rejected the temple and the Israelites for their apostasy, disobedience to His commandments and their idolatrous ways. Who then would be the offspring of David that would succeed King David and build a house of God and whose kingdom would never end in order to fulfill the Davidic covenant or 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 11 and 16? The answer would be Jesus Christ. Now in John chapter 2, verses 13 to 25, Jesus clears the temple courts, uh, the second temple, while shouting, Stop turning my father's house into a market. The religious authorities, the Jews of that time, responded to him, What sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? And Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. They laughed at him, and they ridiculed his answer. Since they did not understand its significance, and thought he was referring to the second temple that King Herod the Great had spent so many years in building up. But Jesus had revealed a mystery that his disciples faithfully recorded in verse 21 of that same chapter. It says, But the temple he had spoken of was his body. Not the physical temple, but his body. His bodily death and resurrection on the third day was the temple that Jesus was referring to. It is through this mystery that the eternal covenant with David would be understood and fulfilled. The house of David is established not by Solomon, but Jesus, who is also the offspring of David by virtue of being of the house of David. It is precisely because it is Jesus whom many acknowledge as Lord and King, that the house of David has a king of God's choosing on the throne forever. Jesus Christ, David's offspring, builds and establishes the house of God, uh, which will last forever because Jesus rose from the dead and lives eternally with God on high. Jesus Christ is the revelation of God and the fulfillment of the prophecy in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 13, which says, He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So let me bring this closer home and apply this to us, because all this while we've been talking about the house of David, and the house of God. What does it mean for our house, our own household? Recall that I asked the question, what would it take to establish a house that will last? As well as the subordinate questions, uh, the, the secondary questions of who is going to establish that house? What kind of house will it be? And how long do you expect that house to last? Christ Jesus has established that house. He is the one who has done it through his life, death and resurrection. It is a spiritual house. Uh, It is not of this world. It is not a physical house of this world but a spiritual house. That house will last forever and it is the eternal kingdom of God and the temple of God. A house which Jesus referred to as my father's house and in Revelation chapter 3 verse 20 Jesus says to all who believe in him to all Christians really here I am I stand at the door and knock and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door I will come in and eat with that person and they with me to the one who is victorious I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my Father on His throne. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That's you. That's me. We are the church. So this invitation that Jesus gives is an invitation as He knocks on the doorway of our house. As simple as it may sound, All it takes to establish that house that will last is not a frenzy of tidying up, repair, renovation or better management or discipline in organising ourselves. But it is an allowing of Christ into your house, my house and allowing Him to establish your house, my house. When we allow Christ into our lives and into our homes, we become a temple of God. God is present in this container. At its most basic, you become a receptacle of God's presence upon which God places His name upon you and upon your house. That name, that seal is His Spirit, the Spirit of God. And when that happens, you, both individually and corporately, we as a church, we become or we are God's holy temple. Jesus's apostles, uh, both Paul and Peter, affirm this. He said in one Corinthians chapter three, verse sixteen to seventeen, and Peter says this in one Peter chapter two, verse five. We are all uh, God's temple, and. In God's temple, it will be God's Spirit working in you that will transform and renew you into Christ's likeness May your heart be warmed by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, and may you be assured that you belong in the house of the Lord, a house eternal that will not end. Will you open your door to the Lord? Dear friends, if this is something that you desire to do and you want to respond to the Lord, will you take a moment uh, to respond in the prayer items or to just ask for somebody to pray for you and invite the Lord into your house, that He would establish your house? Now, let me quickly go forward uh, by talking about three applications, what we need to know, what we need to be, and what we ought to do. I would like you to know that God inhabits His chosen house. Especially in this period and time when many of us are isolated and away from the church. I know many of you feel that the church is the house of God, but I would like you to, to think in the light of what I've just taught today through the scriptures, that God inhabits His chosen house, and His house doesn't need to be this physical building that we call the church. His chosen house is the people that invite him uh, into their homes, their house, their receptacle. So know that God inhabits his chosen house. He inhabits you, your home. God's temple isn't a building, but it is a person or his people. God's temple is wherever you are when you allow God's Holy Spirit to indwell you. Let me move on to what we need to be. We need to be a temple of God's eternal kingdom. A temple is where the living presence of God is working out His will, God's will, in you, through you, around you, in love and for His glory. Let me say that again. Being a temple of God, a temple of God's eternal kingdom, is to have the living presence of God working out His will in you, through you, around you, in love and for His glory. Finally, what do we need to do? Let me challenge you to think about living and acting as God's sacred vessels, His holy and radically righteous uh, vessel. Will you take time to fear God and obey His commands? To love Him and to love one another. It's as simple as loving God with all your heart, strength, mind and soul. And loving your neighbor as you love yourself. And even more, to love God and to love each other as Christ showed us to.